whole show is set to go. Right, right. I don't get it. Hey everyone. Hello. Welcome to I Don't Get It, a podcast about performance in Yegmonton, aka Edmonton. <laughs> I'm Fonda. I'm Paul. And we're proud to be part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This is a special episode, Fonda. It is a special episode. What makes it so special? So, a few weeks back, you remember Onyegin, when Onyegin was playing? Yes. The stars of Onyegin, Meg Rowe and Alessandro Giuliani, um, gave, uh, you know, I was reading their bios in the program, and I saw that they both worked with Kid Pivot, and thought, huh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so looked into it a little bit more. It turns out they're the sound designers for Betroffenheit. Right, right. Betroffenheit being uh, the Kid Pivot uh, show that's coming very soon to the Citadel, but has seen worldwide acclaim. Won the Olivier uh, mm-hmm. is is uh, a very hot ticket for the the few nights it's here. Yeah, so um, taking advantage of the opportunity that, you know, they were actually in town. Yeah. um, And it always sounds better when we're interviewing someone in person instead of over the phone. That's true. Um, I sat down with Meg Rowe and Alessandro Giuliani to talk to them about Betroffenheit. But before we get there, an ad. ATB's Branch for Arts and Culture is a clubhouse, arts venue, and financial institution for Albertan creatives and cultural workers. Members have access to industry-specific banking services and career development resources designed to help them do their very best work. These folks understand the challenges that artists face because they're artists themselves. Ben Spencer is the director of the initiative, but you may also know him as a songwriter. You can find the Edmonton branch in the CKUA building on Jasper Avenue, and there's also a location in Calgary on Stephen Avenue. Find out more at atb.com. Okay. Hey, everyone. I'm here with two very special guests who happen to be in Edmonton for the run of Onyegin being presented by Catalyst Theatre. Um, I will let you two introduce yourselves, and uh, then we'll kind of get to why we're actually talking to you on the I Don't Get It podcast. So we'll start over here. Um, I'm Meg Rowe. I'm here in Edmonton. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Edmonton. It's Alessandro Giuliani here lobby of the beautiful Citadel Theatre on a snowy Sunday afternoon. That's all I've got. Right. <laughs> We're hiding up in the Shockter because there's kids running around everywhere. And the Citadel is famously echoey in every corner. Um, this happens to be carpeted, so yay. <laughs> um, so you've been in Edmonton for the last week and a bit with Onyegin. Um, w- uh, other than, of course, the show, what have you been doing with your time here? Oh, we did so much. We went to the ice castles. We went to the water park. We walked around the river valley. What else did we do? Well, we've got we've got three kids, so we frolicked a lot in the snow. <laughs> it, and coming from Vancouver, snow is pretty novel, so we got a nice dump of it while we were here. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's easy to let a day go by just uh, throwing snowballs. Yeah, making snowmen. Throwing snowballs. Did you guys check out the the ice castles? Yeah, we did. We had a photo shoot there for the show we're here traveling with. So um, we yeah we spent the morning 
wandering around the ice castles all by ourselves. Yeah. Just our company. It was really Exclusive. fun. Exclusive. Exclusive ice castle mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Well, that's fancy. Um, okay. Well, we're actually here talking to you about a show that's coming to Edmonton in the next few months, Betroffenheit. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about how you got involved with that show? Um, Betroffenheit is our second collaboration with Crystal Pites company, Kid Pivot. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. The first uh, we, the first show we did was Tempest Replica, um, and so we uh, we were just lucky to get invited back to keep that collaboration going. Yeah. And in, in in honesty, she's a friend of ours um, and a neighbor. She lives down the alley from us. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so there's a, a personal connection there as well as a a uh, an artistic one. The personal connection came first, and the artistic one has evolved, and we feel blessed and fortunate to be in her orbit. Okay, um, maybe let's start, um, I've, I've actually seen the Tempest Replica, I oh. haven't seen Betroffenheit yet, or yeah. Betroffenheit yet. Yeah. Um, so, how did, um, how was that experience for you? Um, was it the first sort of dance show that you did sound design for? Uh, Tempest Replica? It, it was the first dance piece we'd worked on, and at the time, Kid Pivot, um, Crystal was the choreographer laureate of um, Frankfurt, and so we went to Frankfurt and helped the, in the early development of the piece and um, and uh, and then continued to collaborate on it as it got itself on its feet. And it was like the kind of dream job you imagine having when you think you're going to be an artist. You really do sort of imagine sitting in a studio in Frankfurt surrounded by incredible dancers, like making stuff up using Shakespeare and text. And so it was, uh, yeah, it was an absolute dream come true. And an interesting um, crossover, we mostly work in the theater and sometimes on film and television, so uh, just to dip into the dance world was really interesting creatively, just the medium works differently and the way even rehearsals are structured are different, and so that was really fascinating for us, I would say. Mm-hmm. Agreed, yeah. Mm. Getting to, to create music and sound stuff and see the dancers react to it in real time was, you know, amazing. Um, and, and being there, because we, we were there for three, three-ish weeks, staying in this medieval tower that's turned into a cultural center, of course, because it's Frankfurt. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, just soaking in all of the, the atmosphere and the culture there and everything that was even just going on in that tower <laughs> of culture was fantastic. Um, and, you know, it's, it's Crystal, so she has, needless to say, like the best dancers in the world at her beck and call. So, like, you're watching virtuosity in front of you mm-hmm. and in some small way trying to contribute and not detract from that. Yeah. You know, most yeah. of the time. I mean, I, I, I do have to ask what it's like to work with Crystal Pite. I'm, you know, admitted fan girl over here. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, and of course, you know, being her neighbor, wow. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, what is, what is the process like? How, how, did that, how does it start even for, say, Betroffenheit? Uh, well, Betroffenheit started with a, um, like a collaborative workshop with designers and two dancers over a week, uh, quite a long time ago, actually, like uh, maybe a year out from production. We'd have to confirm those dates. But So it just started with a week-long throw stuff at the wall. Sitting around um, a table. Yeah, sitting around a table. Talking about Jonathan, some of the themes that Jonathan wanted to address with his writing, which was the launching yeah, Jonathan and Crystal had had some conversations about what they thought they wanted to talk about or how they wanted to talk about things. And then, so we just sat in the room and um, tried to cook up ideas and ways of tackling the subject matter. But Crystal is a, it's not, 
hyperbole to call her a genius, and not just in dance, but also in leadership. She's so generous and curious and open that her rooms are um, like unparalleled and really inspiring to be in. She's a master at both leading people and also in inspiring people to do amazing things with their bodies. And mm. yeah, she's amazing. You should be a fan. It's good. Mm, we're fans. <laughs> yeah, we're fans. Um, so when you were throwing the ideas around the table, what sort of what sort of things started coming up? I mean, the 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 piece is uh, about some pretty heavy stuff, trauma and and recovery. Um, so so yeah, what are what are some of those images or sounds that you're really starting to pull out and think of in that process? Well, often we're talking about um, even in uh, any of the collaborations we've done, we're, we're talking about like ways of presenting or tackling subject matter not so much in a literal we'll do it like this and it'll work like that kind of way but more in an open experimental sort of way um, we recorded all those workshops and later dipped back into them for uh, material and just uh, rhythm and stuff um, I would say for the most part it's more abstract than it is um, direct like here's the scene and how do we present it it was um, more uh, indirect, I would say, than that. Would you agree with that? Yeah, circular, and um, the lines between departments blur when you're around the table like that. Someone will think of an image that they saw somewhere and and bring it up on their phone, and that will inspire a whole other thing. Um, so it, it's truly collaborative, and we're all drawing on our vast experiences as artists in different media, media to bring it to the table. Um, and it's exciting uh, because there's a now because this is our second and we're about to start our third collaboration with her there's just such a great sense of trust and, and um, safety and and it allows people to take risks and say stupid things and there's no you know there's no one's too worried about it because we live down the alley and we're <laughs> well and I know it, Play, I'm next week you know like I'm sure Crystal I'm sure she doesn't feel like she has a lot of time but comparatively from a theater perspective the timeline is so oh, yeah. extensive um, that it allows for like, I know in our first project it was harder for us to let go of the rush of a theater process where you're like, kick it up, get it good, put it up, done. Yeah. And, and yeah. the um, Living with the consequences of what you've All done. the time and, and right? sort of compromising and letting the con- and allowing the consequences to become yeah. serviceable rather than obstacles. But in dance, because of the, or at least from our perspective, because of the time you've got, you can just do it and Maybe you use the first one you did. Maybe you never use that again. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something that really kind of exciting yeah. about that. It was a great lesson for us about working creatively, not not being so um, product-driven, which is just a part of the theater world, mm-hmm. but is not necessarily a part of Crystal's process or the dance world in the same way. What was that lesson? What, what happened there? Oh, like try not to just nail down the first thing that comes. Yeah. Uh, try to create circumstances where you don't know. Try to persist in the idea of being unsure about how something's going to be rather than um what's the word well, like coming in fully like decided already and done and then just you know manipulating everyone to do it yes um allowing for gestation and for um for going down a path for a long time that may be totally erroneous um it's just it's not it's not inexorable. Like it's not you. Can, you can come back, and you can use. I mean, that was an amazing thing. Crystal would work on a for a week on a passage, and, and, and never, end up using or use like thirty seconds yeah. of, of a. You know that that's all that would make it into the final yeah. product. 
Um, that's fascinating and fun because yeah, it is so working in the theater, the two or three week rehearsal You've period that you have. Like, yeah. I was saying it in jest, but it is true. You do end up just moving forward. You make forward. decisions and you live with them. You make decisions yeah. and you live with them and you try to solve a no puzzle time. around those decisions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, which is, yeah. So compared to the tr- sort of traditional theater two, three week process, how long was this process? Oh, like two years, mm-hmm. a year, two years. I mean... I can, I can sort of clock it off our kids. Like <laughs> one of our kid, our biggest kid was a baby when we started. She was one when we did a residency in Banff. Yeah. And she's now five. And our tw- uh, we had twins on the night of the premiere of Betroffenheit, yeah, yeah, two yeah, and a yeah, half yeah. years later. So right. it was a good year to two years of just working. You know, and they're not talking. working nonstop, obviously. No, no, no. They're in, like out, in, out, yeah. Here, but there's all that time in between to ruminate and like, and, and panic and revisit and, yeah. and panic and, and yeah, <laughs> which all of those aspects are part of Crystal's process too. And it's that's what makes her so relatable to and human and it's not like she doesn't give off any airs it's not like she's above all of us overseeing our uh, you know yeah. she's pulling our strings without us even knowing and it, it should but. be said that Jonathan who wrote Betroffenheit also has this enormous capacity for change and for and he's extremely flexible on stage and in his writing and in his sort of thinking about theater and how theater works on people and works practically on stage he's He's a, a similar kind of genius in his openness. Like, he's mm-hmm. up for it, and it's never totally pinned down. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. Um, um, can you give us a, a bit of a sense of um, what, we're, what we're really hearing when we're watching Betroffenheit? What sorts of, what, what is the soundscape like? So a lot of it is recorded um, text. text. So all of the text you hear in the show is Jonathan's voice. Um, even though he plays sort of different aspects of maybe the same mind. Um, it's hard to kind of to hash it out. Um, if, if the show is kind of this, this um, vision of a, a traumatized mind, then, yeah, it, it manifests in these various voices, and they're all voiced by him. So we spend a lot of time in the studio with him recording reams and reams of dialogue that some you know that, that we sometimes knew was going to be used in one way but, but often would um, we would end up splicing things together in a really unexpected way so there's a lot of text in the show that we hear um, and the dancers because Crystal is really interested in this that the dancers are then dancing to the text and embodying it um, sometimes even lip syncing it mm-hmm. um, uh, and it's not that they, there's nothing as literal as a story in the show, but that's how the like, if there was a narrative, that's maybe how it emerges. Sort of. And we share our job of song, sound design and composition with Owen Belton, uh, so the three of us work together and sort of divvy up the rules. And um, he's an amazing composer and works a lot with granular sound and, um, and has been a long-time collaborator with Crystals. Uh, and so the three of us take that text and music either that we've written or often that Owen has written and we mush it all together and, and try to create something that fits with what Crystal wants to talk about in terms of the scenography and the story. And, uh, and that also kind of lifts that text up and out 
so that you can receive it as the listener mm -hmm. and actually take it in without a human saying it live. Can you? The experiment, I suppose, is can a body that's not speaking text really take that on and make it understandable in a present moment to an audience? It's, yeah, tricky and fun. Mm -hmm. That's a big job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so were there, any, were there any sort of like, you know, you mentioned before you had the one uh, instance where you had to learn a big lesson as a stumbling block, mm -hmm. but were there any really big, what were some of the biggest challenges in, um, in working on this piece in particular? Uh, it's an enormous amount of text. It was a lot of recording um, that had to be manipulated and adjusted and just sifted through. Uh, but I don't know if it was... What was the biggest stumbling? I, think the, I, think I didn't find it stumbly. I, I, think, I think the maybe what was challenging at times was the content that we were dealing with and, um, you know, navigating the our roles as artists and friends and trying to take care of each other and make sure that the work that we were doing was sustainable and something that mm -hmm. could travel and be around the world and and trying to discern and and make sure that what we were doing wasn't um that that it could that would be universal that it would that it would resonate beyond people who uh, necessarily knew us mm -hmm. um that knew jonathan particularly because he was bringing a part of him very much every night to the show his body is up there he's dancing he's his voice is up there um so that was at times a challenge, but not an insurmountable one, just one that, that um, we all faced together. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, sort of the proof is that the show has gone on and has been all over the world and continues to go all over the world, and, and that people seem to be affected by it, yeah. which was you know, the only hope with what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, it's won an Olivier Award. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> it won the so Dance Olivier Award. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, um, you know, when's the last time a Canadian dance show has has done that? I yeah, don't know if it ever has, I'm not up in my dance history. Yeah. Um, so what is the process like for the two of you working together? I mean, both as collaborators on the project and also as partners in life and all sorts of things. Um, we kind of reinvent it project to project, I would say, but we definitely have carved out what our strengths are. We've sound designed and composed music together a lot over a long time now. So the um, So we've got a kind of laundry list of what we're good at who's good at look, listening to 400 trumpet samples right and and who's good at like the organizational aspect of just programming and putting together the, the right. you know the because we were in addition to writing the music we were also and coordinating the sound we're actually programming it and making decisions about where it comes from in the space and <clears throat> so yeah. it's quite it's it's a big job and but we've well, reinvented example, show to show. Yeah, and yeah. for example, on Betrothal Night, um, there's a song that features quite prominently in the show that John sings. <laughs> and so in that instance, like, Meg wrote this beautiful song, just her and the piano, and we kind of workshopped the idea of it based on lyrics that John had given us. And then oh, we took that, we recorded John singing the vocals, and then I kind of arranged it and morphed it and kind of fucked around with it basically a little bit so that if we wanted it not to be pretty, it would 
be less so. Be. Yeah. And that it could also, and then I recorded a piano version of that song that happens at the end of the show that again took that song and then just kind of like dilated it a little yeah. bit. And so a lot of the work is that. Someone goes right. in and does a pass and then someone else comes in and mm-hmm. tidies that up. And mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we work in layers, I would say. And layers is a good way of putting it, yeah. yeah. It, when we work t- together enough, hopefully, that it's like if we're painting over each other's painting, we're not, you know, we're, not we're, ruining we, it. Yeah, or we know when to kind of stop or to hiding, check in yeah. and be like... And we're also working right? with Owen, right? So we're sending yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. files to Owen and he's sending files to us and we're, and that becomes blurry too. We send him a little piece of text that... Yeah, it's really an interesting... It's fun, actually. I find... I think working in sound particularly as a collaborative medium is really good. Like, it makes for a lot of texture and a lot of depth. And, and the more ears on it, to my mind, the, the richer it becomes. And something like this, you want to feel like it's absolutely surrounding you and epic and um, transportive. So, transportative? Mm. Transportive. Yeah, Transportive, I say. Either one. Either one. <laughs> um, do you have any? Do you have any sort of like uh, rules that you give yourselves, or maybe advice for other couples who tend to work collaboratively a lot? Oh, um, it's super fun and super hard to work together. When we first started out, we had these hats. We really did have these hats that we kept in our studio. They said um, sound designer. And they said, partner. <laughs> and you'd put the one on that you wanted the other person to treat you as so that the whole time they were looking at you, it would say, like, I am your... Is it, we'd later, we, I'm sometimes a director, and so one of them says director. <laughs> so that you would be more professional or whatever. Anyway, or that you wanted to be more personal. That, that I think, can be tricky. Um, it's always an interesting dynamic to um, work, work in front of people who know that you are together. Mm. Um, for lots of reasons you'd expect and not, I think. I think working as a woman in sound design can be interesting, and coming with a man means often um, nobody talks to me. <laughs> shocker. So a uh, shocker. So um, so that can be sometimes an interesting negotiation. But people who want to work together, they should. Mm. You just have to have just to really thick like skin, thin skin. I don't know yeah. which is better. You have to be ultimately vulnerable and in some ways really brave with one another because you're the, the, your openness to criticism and critical thinking in your work and who you are becomes expanded when you take your personal life and plop it into your professional creative life too. If, if the relationship is sound then the work will be if, you know, like if, if the foundation is good for you in life then it will work for the art it's probably all the same. yeah it's, most of the time it's all the same <laughs> it's all the same stuff yeah yeah, yeah. And, and hats help hats you know if it's a practice <laughs> I feel like people should do that more just in their life like if you yeah. wore a hat or a t-shirt that said treat me nice I yeah. feel like shit today people yeah. really would probably, be nicer to you yeah. I think it's a good idea mood rings and, yeah. and regular, regular snacking is important too. Yes, yeah, yeah, and booze. Yeah, snacking, napping, all of the essential food yeah, groups, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Okay. Well, so what's next for you? You did mention that there's a third collaboration coming up. Are oh. you allowed to say uh, anything I'm about that? I'm not sure it? we're allowed to say anything about that. I don't think we can say no. titles. Only you can. I think we're allowed to say that that Jonathan and Crystal are collaborating on a new piece with the same team from the team that brought you Betrothnight. 
there will be something, but that's all we can really say right now. I don't even know if we can say that much, but there you well, go. I just did. <laughs> Take that, Edmonton. What a scoop! <laughs> Woo! Yeah. All right. Um, well, thank you both so much for um, coming on the podcast. It's no, been great, and it's been great to have you here in Edmonton for Anyagin as well. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we love had, Edmonton. We've had a great time. We've had here. a great time. Wish we could stay longer. We'll try to come back. The north beckons us. Yeah. <laughs> Off to Whitehorse you go. <laughs> okay. Thanks both. Bye. Wow. Yeah. So I'm um, pretty excited to see that show. We've been talking about it for a while. So, mm. you know, it's running uh, March 30th to April 1st at the Citadel. A very limited engagement. Mm-hmm. Great. So, well, that was cool. But you know what else is cool? Another ad. Yeah. Join Alberta Podcast Network on March 17th at the CKUA Radio Performance Hall for an evening of music and whimsy in celebration of Alberta-made podcasts. Music will be provided by Doug Hoyer, the man responsible for more Alberta podcast theme songs than anyone, and a performer of many fine tunes, now with accompaniment of a string quartet. The whimsy, Doug will bring some for sure, but will also test contestants' knowledge of podcasting with Opod the Game. It will be silly, there will be prizes. Learn more at albertapodcastnetwork.com slash events and use the promo code APNROCKS to get your t- $5 off your ticket. So, um, we've got lots of stuff coming up. It's still March, we're still in like International Women's Month. Yay! Yeah, so I'm going to start this listing with a, a full disclosure. Uh, I'm a member of Rapid Fire Theatre, uh, but Rapid Fire Theatre is doing a show called Sphinxes, which I am not involved with. It is uh, all of our, our, our female and trans and non-binary performers doing an incredible show every Saturday at 7.30 at Ziedler Hall in the Citadel Theater. Every Saturday in March, right? That's yes. cool. Okay, um, Mamma Mia is still running at the Citadel. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, until March 18th. Go get your ABBA on. Cool. Uh, Outside Mullingar is a Shadow Theater production that is running until March 25th. 2018. Uh, Children of God is also still running at the Citadel until March 24th. And do this in memory of me, a... uh... You want to do that one? Sure. Oh, yeah. Um, Also, I kind of have to burp. Hold on. There it is. Good. Okay. Uh, Also, do this in memory of me, a co-production between Northern Light Theatre and Luni Theatre is alternating in French and English uh, with the same cast on on both in both uh, both script versions uh, running uh, March 13th to 25th at La Cité Francophone. Cool. And and that's that's all for now, folks. Um, Thanks so much for listening. And go go see some stuff. Bye. Bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta, in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli, and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blenov. Sit here thinking about love.